0: OK, well, um, thank you very much for agreeing to this, this chat, Rachel. And perhaps you could say, uh, introduce yourself by saying your name and what your job is.
1: Yeah, so I'm um, Rachel Marse. I'm the Roy Davids Archivist at the Bodleian Library. Um, so I look after the modern literary archives and manuscripts at the Bodleian. Um, so I liaise with de- depositors who are looking to um, deposit uh, material um, and taking in new material when it arrives. Um, I catalogue our literary collections to enable researchers to use and view them, um, answer inquiries and I do a bit of outreach work um, which involves some work with schools um, or other events which uh, showcase our collections.
0: And the, the collections must be extensive. I mean, modern literary manuscripts at the Bodleian. I presume that covers. But what, what period does modern cover in that in that definition?
1: Yes, roughly it's um, anything post 1800. There's a bit of leeway, sort of both ways. But yeah, yeah. That, that's what what we sort of class it as. <laughs>
0: And it's everything, it's like letters, sort of first drafts and and so on of material. That's
1: it, yes, yeah, anything from um, sort of, we've got the um, Juvenalia of Jane Austen, for example, so early works of authors and, as you say, sort of their handwritten manuscripts of, of their sort of more famous works and often unpublished works as well, so quite a variety of different material.
0: I can imagine. Yeah, well, I've worked with some of it. I've been very fortunate too, and it's it's wonderful. Um, but for the purpose of this podcast, so this is a series about fantasy literature and 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 writers in that genre. Um, we're going to talk about two two collections that you have, which kind of reveals sort of the breadth of what's in these these the, the wider collection. So, could you say something about who, who we're going to talk talk about?
1: Yes, yeah, well today we're um, going to look at William Morris, um, the designer, author and also the sort of visionary socialist of his time. Um, He was born in 1834 and lived until 1896 and the Bodleian holds a few of his uh, letters and lectures, um, but also some uh, wonderful illuminated uh, calligraphic uh, manuscripts written by William Morris. So both of um, sort of existing works and also his own compositions. Um, in special collections, we also hold a full set of uh, Morris's Kelmscott press books. So the first editions for his own um, printing press, um, many of these were deposited um, via sort of legal deposit, um, uh, as the Bodleian is a legal deposit library, so would receive Um, copies of books published in the UK.
0: Fantastic and and the second writer we're going to look at a bit.
1: And we're also looking at um, Eric Rooker Edison or E.R. Edison um, who's born in 1882 um, and died in 1945. Um, He was a civil servant and author. Um, We hold letters from his uh, friends and um, quite a few from uh, quite a bit of fan mail uh, we held some correspondence between him and his publishers. Uh, we held a few uh, proofs of his work. Um, we've got Egil's saga, um, his translation of the Norse saga that he did in the uh, 1920s. Um, lots of newspaper cuttings that he himself cut out of book reviews of his own books, of his own work. And... Um, And interestingly, uh, one of the sort of highlights of the Edison papers are the drawings and stories that Edison wrote as a young man in sort of um, exercise books. um, His sort of own sketches and uh, uh, sort of initial ideas and his own sort of uh, making of a sort of different world, as it were
0: fantastic well that's whetted our appetite so <laughs> two two very important writers and and, and you know and, and for all kinds of reasons but particularly for the development fantasy so slightly overlapping in terms of i think Edison was yes. a boy when morris died but um morris is obviously that great 19th century bastion of 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 medievalism and then Edison comes along as a slightly more i wouldn't say modernist because he writes in the archaic style but you know a very important figure of 20th century fantasy that influenced Tolkien and Lewis. But I'm right in saying they were both Oxford alumni as well. Yes,
1: yeah, that's right. Yes, um, 50 years apart. Um, Morris was at Exeter College in the 1850s um, and Edison was at Trinity College in, in the early 1900s, um, both uh, studying
0: classics. That's interesting, isn't it? Because of 20-20. course, Tolkien came up to study classics. Yes, yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. OK, well, should we start with the Morris material, if that's OK? Um, so w- you, you've, you've given us a broad outline there of what we have in terms of manuscripts, um, but also obviously printed books um, because of the extensive collection, of the bodily. But let's should we concentrate on the manuscript mm-hmm. side. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And do you want to sort of say a few words about what, what immediately leapt out about what you have?
1: I think the... Um... The sort of uh, link between them all is the sort of work that's gone into them. You know, they're not um, like many of our sort of um, authors. Um, He's not just writing them down as we sort of expect an author to write them down. He's deliberately making these manuscripts beautiful. So he's writing them in, uh, he's doing calligraphy. He's uh, leaving room for um, drawings around the text. Um, some of which are filled in, um, we don't have many sort of completed manuscripts um, with full illustrations and um, they often have sort of the nice ones on the first few pages and then uh, later on in the manuscripts there's that he's just left the spaces um, to be completed um, but it's showing that he's very much thinking of them in in terms of manuscripts themselves, sort of the, um, sort of more traditional sort of sense of a manuscript, a medieval manuscript. So he's not only writing the story, he's wanting them to look beautiful as well. So they're bound in vellum and, uh, well, written on vellum and, and bound, um, in, in the sort of, uh, in style of the medieval, uh, medieval books. Um, he
0: um, think you could still get vellum in 19th well, yeah,
1: century,
0: but he went to that full extent of using that.
1: That's it, and getting the inks and everything. Yeah, um, he's said to be inspired by uh, looking at some of the, manus- the medieval manuscripts at the Bodleian, um, so he was aware of that, uh, of sort of their existence, um, yeah, sort of even then, um, which is uh, which is interesting. Um, I mean, it was quite late in his life that he sort of came back to doing this um, uh, style of writing. Um, The manuscripts date to the 1870s. Um, So this is sort of of midway through his career. He's sort of returned to this, um, sort of after his poetic, early poetic phase in the 60s. So it's a very interesting sort of um, time we're looking at in uh, morris's life and sort of his his works really
0: absolutely so the the text of these manuscripts what's what's the text again sorry
1: oh so we've got quite a few um few of the diff- uh, few different ones they're mainly his um his sort of uh, Norse saga style writings so the story of the dwellers at air uh, the story of Thorir, and The uh, Story of the Volsungs and the Niblungs, um, which was um, published in 1876 as The Story of Sigurd the Volsung and the Fall of the Niblungs. So, um, yeah, they're the sort of er- early, early versions of the published work.
0: Right. Which he's gone that extra mile by trying to produce it, almost like it, it's the feel of an illuminated manuscript.
1: That's it, yes. When it was first published, I believe it was published um, sort of as more of a sort of straight text, like normal um, published book. Um, he did publish it himself at the Kelmscott Press in 1898, so that version is obviously very highly decorated and, and, and stylized in the sort of format of a manuscript, um, but that's sort of much later on.
0: And, and the illuminations do, do any of them do you remember any of them that they they stick out as to what he was drawing was it, were they scenes from the text or were they just decorative
1: they were decorative mainly yes yeah sort of floral as you might might expect from morris um uh, one of them has um, uh, um pictures in from um, uh, charles fairfax murray and george wardle so he's not only doing this himself he's Having some help in well, them, so that that's the one with the figures in, which uh, relate to the text. But most of them are just sort of floral, um, uh, sort of decorative illustrations yeah. rather than um, scenes I, of the story.
0: I guess the purpose was trying to put your mindset into Morris. You know, I think about Morris thinking about this. He's He's doing this really because he it's a work of art it's building on the work he did with the Birmingham set at Oxford you know this reinvigorating the arts which leads arts and crafts movement it's not that he was trying to produce the kind of forged manuscript and go no no exactly yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yes yeah sort of um, it, it's a work of art in many senses it's not just a text it has to look beautiful as well
0: Yes, absolutely. And and on and one of the other podcasts, we talk about the, the murals um, in the Oxford Union about, and, uh, you know, the Burne jones paintings and so on, which which was Morris was part of that circle and went on. That's wonderful. OK. And are these um, are these accessible? Are these the sort of books that anyone could come in and, and have a look under certain conditions?
1: Yes, that's right. Yes. And via our reading rooms um, and. Uh, The description of the items is available on our online catalogue, Bodleian Archives and Manuscripts. Um, At the moment, they're not digitally available. Um, But yes, um, they can be seen in the flesh, as it were. Um, So, yes,
0: yeah. (laughs) I expect they'd be amazing to see. I I will certainly (laughs) make an appointment one day. Okay. (laughs) And so let's move on to our our, our second author, E.R. Edison, um, who, as you've already said, was at Oxford, did classics like Morris. um, But also there's there's a similarity here in his attraction to Norse literature, isn't there as well? He he starts moving in that direction.
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah. Both uh, Morris and Edison learnt Norse so that they could read the sagas in the original tongue. Um, I think Edison himself um, actually read Morris's Norse works and was inspired from them to learn Norse and then go to the originals. So um, there's sort of a quite clear sort of link between the two and they both um, um, were so sort of enthralled by them that they both visited Iceland um, which in sort of um, the 19th and early 20th centuries, not not an easy trip. No, <laughs> oh,
0: not at all.
1: Um, and yes, and um, Edison was also a member of the Viking Society for Northern Research as well. Um, and as you say, um, he um, published um, his sort of own version of a saga, um, as well as a sort of more straight translation of Egil's saga, um, in both in the 1920s um just coming out of that sort of love of the north and the sort of Norse myth
0: there's something to be asked about what we were doing wrong with classics teaching isn't there <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know Morris Tolkien Edison
1: yeah
0: we're all old classics or to a degree but we're we're attracted by the sort of you know western medieval northern Germanic myths and so
1: That's on it, yes yeah
0: yeah. So, what what do we have of Edison? You did a summary at the beginning, but it'd be, let's go into it more. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, um, we have um, sort of um, volumes of letters, um, which um, were sent from fans um, as well as friends. Um, one of the letters from a fan um, is interestingly uh, was a tank commander and was writing from Fort Knox. He uh, was a Major Robert Brown and. Uh, writing in 1945, saying how he loved Edison's works and that two of them had un- accompanied him on his uh, African I- and Italian campaigns. Wow. So Edison had treasured that letter, you know, that, uh, that, that where his um, works had been and I think that sort of appreciation was important to him, you know. Um, he wasn't writing um, commercially, you know, he had a very successful civil service career, um, but it was very much out of um, wanting to share his stories and imagination. Um, so I think he, he very much sort of kept all these letters um, carefully. Do um,
0: so any one, letters from Lewis survive too? Yes,
1: yeah, that's uh, we've got um, a few letters from Lewis um, some of them are in um, a sort of um, uh, volume of letters um, relating to C.S. Lewis, so we have sort of um, Edison in another collection as it were. Um, He read um, The Worm uh, Ouroboros in 1942 and Lewis uh, wrote a letter of appreciation to Edison, as he was kind of uh, prone to do, um, and he wrote it in a sort of um, pastiche of Middle English. It's not in uh, not in how we talk English now. Um, sort of echoing Edison's um, own prose in his works, um, and yeah, he, it's a lovely letter, saying you know, saying how much he likes it, and he. Um, uh, says Edison is a bit like William of Kelmscott, or Snorri, uh, or Homer um, and the correspondence uh, led to Edison visiting Lewis in Oxford in February 1943. So he, he went to sort of Magdalen College and uh, ate in the hall um, and, and sort, of, um, sort of touched on sort of the in- inkling circle um, sort of on his visit. Um, so that's kind of interesting sort of um, an interesting meeting of minds, really. There. Um, and they kept um, kept up correspondence and um, and sort of occasional meeting. Um, Edison lived down in um, sort of London and Malmesbury. So um, it was sort of more occasional visits and um, keeping in touch via letter as well.
0: So uh, yes, the on uh, um, returning to the letters then were there anything other other highlights that leapt out
1: Yes um he, there are some from sort of famous writers like Hilaire Belloc and um H Rider Haggard um but also from um Arthur Ransom um who was brought up sort of um close to Edison they shared a tutor at one point when they were when they were very young um and he's writing from aboard one of his boats <laughs> he's Uh, uh, moored out somewhere and he's anticipating Edison's um, work and he's sort of referring back to these um, sort of fantasies that they used to sort of have and the uh, Edison's uh, exercise books that he filled with sketches and stuff so uh, Ransom remembers that and sort of can see that in uh, Edison's published works, which is... Is that,
0: uh, is that the juvenilia you talked about? That's Edson.
1: right, yes. So yes. we
0: have some of this material
1: do, Yes, yeah. so sort of they're like, um, they're like exercise books with um, tales of these um, figures that appeared in his uh, works, especially Ourobor- the worm Ouroboros. Um But lots of sketches of kind of um, uh, men in sort of mock Elizabethan costume and a lot of swords uh, and a lot of sort of red ink as as the battles (laughs) are occurring. Um, And I think, I don't know whether um, uh, sort of as the the youngster with uh, Arthur Ransom that they, they sort of used to, um, sort of imagine this world together, or whether it was kind of mainly Edison. I don't know, but um, Ransom certainly remembers remembers those days.
0: So, that, so, I think you said at the beginning, Edison probably around the age of ten. There, he's be- yes, mm-hmm. the age,
1: he's very young. Yes, yeah. Um, and he's he's got neat writing, and it but it it sort of flows, you know. Um, it's it's coming out of his head, and he's writing it down. He's not sort of writing bits and crossing them out. It it is kind of, um, sort of, complete short stories and tales um, that he's putting together, rather than just ideas or figures, Though they are sort of little tales in themselves.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to be thinking that young about a mythology, which we may have all have done, but to bring it with you into when you're an adult and writing these books, and as you say, some of the characters carry on into the Worm. That's it.
1: Yes, that. yeah, and they're sort of definitely recognisable. They have the same names, you yeah. know. He's not changing them sort of uh, substantially at all.
0: No. So, um, what else is there? Is there any more in the letters? But I think you also mentioned there was other material like reviews and and so on.
1: That's it. Yes, yes. So there's um, volumes of newspaper cuttings that he's very much. Um, Sort of diligently um, cut them out and kept them, um, and it, it's sort of to the extent that he he, he neatly crosses out um, the sections that don't apply to his book. You know, if it's a review that's covering two or three books, he'll sort of cross out the um, the, the bits that aren't relevant to him. Um, and very very occasionally, he does write marginal comments um, really? about reviewers it's mainly when it's a negative comment (laughs) he'll say something (laughs) um some some remark um but most of the most of the reviews were sort of fairly positive um and I think Edison sort of appreciated them um I think sort of the reviewers agreed that his work's quite sort of unique and it perhaps wasn't for everybody um but but could sort of appreciate the work and the sort of vision that he had.
0: So um, is there any literary manuscripts, any drafts of any, apart from the Juvenalia, is there any mm-hmm. drafts of any of his stories?
1: We've got one sa- uh, one draft for a saga um, and the proof um, for Egil's saga. Um, most of his um, literary Um, sort of drafts of his novels um, were donated by his widow to Leeds Central Library. Um, So they hold the sort of um, uh, drafts for for his work as well as a bit of correspondence.
0: Okay. Um, And and these drafts, are they actually handwritten drafts or are they typescripts? I think
1: they were a bit of both. yeah. in the, some of the um letter books that we have um he's actually he drafts his replies which are in in the letter books but he's written them on the back of um sort of typescript um drafts of his work so so whilst we don't have a sort of complete um uh, sort of set for anything um he he obviously is sort of reusing his paper so We do have the occasional sort of page. It's often upside down, you know, um, that he sort of jotted on, which which is interesting in itself. Um, uh, One of the things with literary archives is um, how the authors themselves see their drafts and how they keep them. And it does vary so much between authors. You know, some keep them very religiously and others just use um, drafts as sort of scrap paper later on
0: yeah yeah well and uh, what you were saying earlier about his some of his letters ends up in or the lewis collection because it depends where the emphasis is placed but that's it yeah uh-huh. yeah but i guess what we forget now is just how valued paper was in you know
1: well that's it yeah during
0: the wars and certainly in the war people you know it was something you treasured and reused
1: that's it yeah and, and sort of um edison's works that uh, many of them are written during wartime and um some of the um, publisher's correspondence um, refers to um, Edison wants his book published but there are shortages of paper and the sort of stresses and strains the sort of publishing world is undergoing during the war um, makes things very sort of difficult and they're trying to explain to sort of a keen author that you know um, what what the difficulties are um, so I think um one of his books was published first in America um, rather than um, the UK, just because of sort of these issues that were going on.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an issue that affects Tolkien, obviously, even after the mm-hmm. war when The Lord of the Rings is coming out, you know, they're looking at this going, we can't publish anything of that length, and so yeah. the Silmarillion on top of it. <laughs> Yeah, the paper shortage. It's it's fascinating to pick those times, those, those contextual uh, elements, isn't it, about book publishing and so on. Yes,
1: that's it. And they can so easily be overlooked. Um, you sort of uh, often hear more of sort of the costs is sort of, um, well, they change to people's lives. But you sort of don't realise when you're sort of looking at what books are being published, the sort of... Um, other influences that are happening at
0: the time. Well, it's a fascinating insight because we've got these, these two writers, which in many ways share a lot of similarities, you know, interested in old Norse educated Oxford classics, go on to write fantasy and and deliberately in that archaic style that, you know, that's what Edison was known as, and Morris. But um, at the same time, there's an imbalance because Morris is this great known character for all things 19th century but Edison when I come across Edison he's always referred to as the person that Lewis and Tolkien liked and And he's almost diminished. Um, I was was interested in the reviews and you may not have had had a chance to read them too much about you know you said they're generally positive but there were some Mm -hmm. negative ones in there was it people just couldn't understand what Edison was getting to?
1: I think yeah I think it was the grasp of sort of Imagining sort of this completely different world, and it sort of wasn't as a as sort of established a concept um, then, and I and I think that his sort of um, his way of writing could be sort of quite sort of overblown in sort of the sort of um, sort of romance style of um, both in sort of words and in in descriptions.
0: Um, mm. But I yeah. think
1: quite a few sort of saw them as classics um, at the time and thought they would sort of endure because they they were so different to to what was what else was being published.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's, they are reemerging now, certainly as 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 text to study and to read. If you want that picture of how fantasy progressed, um, I remember Tolkien definitely. He speaks in with guarded praise about Edison, uh, and I think he he found, uh, from what I recall, and apart from the names, which is the sort of thing Tolkien would have, <laughs> <laughs> was the the worm Ura Boris Basically, he says violence comes around in circles, and that's the way you know it's it's that the the, 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 the snake eating its tail. It's uh, that whole idea that it, it's a very bleak bleak depiction of of of, of life in a way, isn't it?
1: Yes, yeah, There's certainly the sort of harking back to sort of sh- chivalric past, I think. Um, and Edison wasn't sort of, um, t- I wouldn't say he wasn't aware of sort of the sort of industrialised sort of warfare of the 20th century, um, but he certainly was harking back to a different age. And I think the fact that such conflict occurred in the 20th century sort of sets his books slightly at odds with what was going on. Um, first we sort of said these books were early in his imagination, um, sort of thoughts and the um, sort of chivalric deeds or um, um, sort of harking back to the sort of Norse, Norse sort of saga way of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if he was 10, so that's what, the 1890s, the height <laughs> of empire, you know, the boy's own sort of, sort of you know, chivalric, chivalric sort of way of fighting. But then you go through the trenches and what well, the experience of the First World War and it, his books seem out of place. That's That's fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Um, well it's, before we finish is there anything else that you want to uh, pick out from the either of the collections
1: oh yes i think the um for the morris um it is just such a such a sort of joy to look at the books really the manuscripts um because they are so sort of well done uh, and some of them are a sort of um, in such a diddy format as well you know they're quite small <laughs> they're, they're just so tactile and i think that sort of the, they do sort of um, um morris's aim in producing them when you actually see them um you, you do sort of understand where, where where he's coming from you know um because it, it it does it's the tangibleness i think of them um and the fact that he's written them as well you know it. it author to pen, um, but still in such a sort of beautiful, beautiful way. Um, I think um, I read that Morris's own favourite was the uh, Volsungs and the Niblungs, um, so that's probably the, the highlight from the Morris collection. And certainly the Edison one, it's the, the drawings and stories he wrote as a young man, that young imagination sort of coming through. Um, sort of making that other world that he sort of disappears into um and and sort of the uh, his sort of story of he he doesn't become a full-time writer you know he has a, his own uh, career in the civil service but he still longs to go back to that world of childhood which i think is probably um his, his own sort of escape so yeah i think it for me it's definitely those uh, those younger works that that are in the collection
0: that's wonderful thank you yes so it gives us a picture of the of two men really you that's
1: know
0: it, yeah running their career in the beginning fantastic well thank you very much Rachel that was that thank was absolutely <laughs> wonderful and i uh, i'm sure you'll get a lot of people wanting to come and see it <laughs> well,
1: that that, that's, uh, that would be great it it's um they're sort of um uh, not so widely known the collect these two Um, aspects in our collection so it'd be great to sort of get them out there as it were. Wonderful,
0: thank you.
1: Thank you.